Today is September 25th, 2019, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Today we have the opportunity to hear from Drew Rayner, and Drew is the pastor of Harvest Bible Church or Harvest Baptist Church in Cary, North Carolina, right outside of the triangle there in North Carolina. Drew had the opportunity to also travel with us on a pastor's conference to Bogota, Colombia, and get to be a part of that. And we are so grateful for Drew and his family and his church and all the ways that they partner with Lifeline. Our North Carolina office uh, has an office in uh, Harvest Church there in Cary, and we're so grateful for Drew and for his ministry and just grateful to get to hear from him and the ways that Harvest is engaged with orphans and vulnerable children around the world. But before we hear from Drew, I want to remind you that Families Count is a Christ-centered service offered to birth families that help them have lasting success with their children. Our team was able to partner and found Families Count as a solution to the problem of families needing to reunite with their children. Families Count is designed to equip local churches to minister to the parents of children who have been placed into the local foster care system or are at a risk of entering into it. Through Families Count, we have seen families restored, marriages transformed, and lives changed through the gospel. Your church can get more information and become a part of this ministry by visiting our website at lifelinechild.org backslash families count. Again, Families Count is such a great way for your local church to get engaged with helping families be restored, be renewed through the power of the gospel and through the community of your local church to be able to get their children back out of foster care. There are many ways that we can help the children in foster care and chief among them is to restore them with dignity back to their family through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if your church and your family is wanting to get engaged with Families Count, go to lifelinechild.org backslash Families count. Well, it's an honor to be here with Drew Rayner, and Drew is the pastor of Harvest Church in Cary, North Carolina, and he and his sweet wife Taylor are natives of Georgia, but transplanted to North Carolina for seminary and then to plant a church. Uh, they have three children, two boys and a young little girl that's two years old, which came into their home through adoption, and so. Just had the opportunity uh, actually here in Colombia to travel with Drew to do this pastor's conference at uh, Iglesia Baptista de Nassar here in Bogota. And it's been great to co-labor with this brother and just wanted to have a conversation because Drew and his brother Matthew Pope, brother in Christ Matthew Pope, have been able to replant harvest and carry. And so wanted to talk about church planning as well as adoption and uh, just the journey of caring for the fatherless through the local church. Well, Herbie, thanks for having me. First of all, I feel like it's necessary to say, go dogs!" <laughs> Your Alabama Crimson Tide have ruined our hearts lately, and so it's been good to uh, heal up a little bit together here in Columbia. But thanks for having me, and it's been a joy to be here uh, investing in the church and pastors in Columbia and to even have this conversation about how the Lord's led us to plant a church and adopt some kids and, and lead others to do the same thing. And while we're getting the housekeeping, you know, we had the conversation about the last two years, Alabama and Georgia, and how our backup quarterback has bailed us out and that we brought on three new backup quarterbacks for this game this year. So. Yeah, uh, I got a feeling that as much as I wish that that wound would go ahead and heal up, that the Kirby Smart Nick Saban uh, battle is going to leave that a little bit open and painful for a while. So I'm, I'm just banking on this year, maybe being the year that everything breaks open. But we well, you know the beautiful thing is, 
really at the end of the day, football doesn't matter, but what matters is the gospel that binds us. And so we've had such a great time co-laboring. And one of the things even, you know, we did two conferences, really. We did one for pastors of really mostly church plants within Bogota, and then one for a local church, Renasar Iglesia Baptiste. So the first conference we did was a lot about church planning, and you got to actually share both informally and through the spoken proclamation of God's Word about planting churches and growing and thriving churches. So I know that you and Matthew have been able to co-labor to replant, harvest, and carry. So what, 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 is, what has it been like on that journey, and what have you learned along the way of planting a church? Yeah, well... We, we ended up moving to North Carolina, as you mentioned, to help uh, both of our dear friends, uh, Tony and Marie, to start a church up there in Raleigh. And then, uh, as God would have it, we thought we might be on the way to uh, a more standard planting process, and, and God sort of led us to the route of really a replant where we took uh, what was an existing local church and that was dying though and we brought in um, some folks from Imago Day Church up in Raleigh and restarted that church but we just really believe in the the beauty and the glory and the centrality of the local church and that the best way to make disciples in any place is to see healthy local churches started there and so Matthew was also a part of Imago Day, and so we were able to be trained up and affirmed and sent out of there. And yeah, we turned uh, five years old this wow. November. And so that's interesting. I was in a church down in Georgia where I'm from this summer, and they were talking about being 125 years old. And it's like hard to even imagine that. But it's been wonderful to see God uh, lead us in these last five years through growth and challenges, but to to ultimately see him work on the west side of Raleigh where we are to, to draw people to himself and to form our church. And so um, it's been a wild ride. We've said often we've been building the plane while we've been flying it, but by God's grace, um, we're growing and thriving and, and it's been fun. Yeah. Well, I know one of the things that we've talked about is how diverse Carrie is as a community it's uh, kind of like an international melting pot because so many folks that are coming to the Triangle, the Raleigh-Durham area, from other nations are, are planting themselves in Cary. But then you also, because you are replanting, uh, you know, we've talked about, you had 10 families that stayed along that were older and more mature. So you've got a diverse crowd there at Harvest. I know that's been beautiful, but I also know that replanting and all of that can be challenging. What, what would you say are some of the most difficult challenges that you've had in replanting this church? Yeah, so one of the big challenges was actually that. It was that the existing church, because of its story, was mostly 60-plus-year-old individuals and that had been following Jesus longer than any of the rest of us had been alive. And uh, this crew coming from Imago Day, And so using what was, I guess, the summer of 2014 to really drill into theology, to lay a groundwork of, of the gospel, to, to, to really use that time to, to, to really unify us around what was going to be gospel centrality and living life on mission. Because like you said, uh, Cary, North Carolina is this melting pot. Actually, the, the, the North American Mission Board has done some studies and we're what's called right in the middle of what's called Pocket of Lostness 18. It's one of the most unreached geographical bubbles inside of, of, of our state and, and even the country. And so there's people just from all over the world. And so replanting this church with 
you know, uh, mostly this diverse little group of people that we're trying to put together, but also to try to have a, a mind toward loving our neighbors, looking like our neighborhood. And so um, it's been a process for us, but by God's grace, um, we've been able to see Indian couples join our church and Hispanic couples join our church. And so just by God's grace, we just are progressively beginning to look more and more like our neighborhood, which is amazing. So the challenge of bringing those people together um, in a way that would be, you know, hey, we're not the old church that this group used to be. And we're not a Mago Day church where we all came from that as we joined. But what does it uniquely look like to love this community and serve this community? I would say that was probably the biggest challenge and has been. And then we've just been really progressively seeking the Lord and asking Him, what does it look like for us to really be a local church uh, in Cary, North Carolina um, that's going to love and serve our neighbors? Well, you know, even when you say that, you know, the Lord always invites us into and asks us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone that are tough, that are hard, but He's so faithful to be with us, to give us His presence, but also to teach us. And so I know maybe a lot of our listeners aren't looking to go plant churches, but some of the lessons I'm sure that the Lord has taught you are relevant in what He's calling them specifically to do. So what are some of the things the Lord has taught you about His character, about who He is, and how have you seen Him present through the last five years of planting this church? Yeah, I, I think that probably the, the, the biggest lessons that God's been teaching me or maybe even sin in my own heart that He's been showing me in ways He's been sanctifying me through this is just remembering that, that this is His mission, whether it's planting churches, whether it's loving the orphan, uh, really that's His mission. And so it, it hasn't been my job to build this church or to accomplish great things for God. And I found that, that you know, my, my joy and my despair go up and down to the degree that, that I'm depending on myself or looking to myself to, to build this great church. And so um, it's been a lesson of God reminding me that, that really it's Him, it's His mission, it's Him that's building this church church for us and that for anybody who's thinking about wherever God is calling them that in the gospel the beauty is that God is asking us to to really just lay our life down and lay our plans down and that's hard because pride creeps up uh, need the need for affirmation or validation especially for me I'm sort of a, a one or three Enneagram so I'm an achiever I'm a people pleaser I need all of that and so uh, pastoring is uh, a good tool to to wear down on that over and over again because um, oftentimes we're not we're not exactly experiencing that so I would just say um, the biggest lesson for me has been drew are you willing to not need to be successful in your own eyes or to have something that you feel like you've built that would make God happy and rather uh, just walk in humility and submission to him and and allow him to accomplish whatever it is that he is wanting to accomplish. And so that's been tough. Uh, I haven't done it well for the most part, but it's something that the Lord's shown me. There's a whole lot more joy in humility and laying my life down than really uh, trying to work really hard to prove myself and earn God's, God's favor. And so, Amen. Well, I know one of the things about planting, but just in your own life, it's evident from getting to know you, is that you have always relied on having other men in your life to keep you accountable, to sharpen you, and, and you've been very intentional to seek out these mentors. Um, so how have older brothers poured into you well 
And what advice would you give to others who are a Timothy that's looking for a Paul? Yeah, that's that's great. And someone once said, I can't remember who it was, but if you see a turtle on a lamppost, it didn't get there by itself. And that's the story that is my story. And in college, I went to the University of Georgia, as we were just talking about. And there at Watkinsville First Baptist, Carlos Sibley began to pour into me a young, reckless, uh, crazy young college student, but who thought he maybe one day wanted to go pastor a church. And so um, every week, early in the morning, just meeting with this 40 plus year old brother with four or five kids who was showing me what it looks like to love your wife, to love your kids and to love your family. And so for two years, he poured in to me. And that was really my first experience of a healthy pastor that had a, a, a healthy, admirable, like, church family balance and so i began to learn that there and then left the university of georgia and had the the amazing privilege to be mentored by johnny hunt dr johnny hunt for a year in woodstock and he was really the 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 mentor that that came around me to to really show me what it meant to to follow god's call to to catch a hold of a vision and an ambition that god had given you as a pastor or me as a pastor and and then to to just passionately go after it. Anybody that knows Dr. Johnny Hunt knows he's a man of passion. And so he, he's who really showed me what it was like to to live with the, uh, uh, we only have one life kind of mentality and to leave nothing left undone. And then that year really rolled right into my season of life in North Carolina where sort of the church planting grid came into my world as I um, met and, and spent those years at Imago Day And Tony and the team there really just pulled us in and said, hey, we want to love you and nurture you and disciple you. And so I was a part of, of, of that church launching. And those years were just massively formative for me as it related to shepherding God's people, not as a superstar pastor, but as a, a real shepherd of the sheep. But also, um, that's really where I learned about church planting, um, what it means to plant churches and, and why plant churches. And so there's just been this, there's just been this sequence of, of four or five men that in different unique ways formed different parts of me. And so it's been a journey of really saying, where can I find someone who's farther down the tracks than I am from whom I can learn? And you know, still am doing that. Tony is, is still a, a good, dear brother to me. We're still in the same Raleigh-Durham area. And, you know, it's weird to think that, that now I've ha- I have the opportunity to look, to look downstream mm-hmm. and, and begin to do that as well. And, and so uh, to God be the glory for the men that he's put in my life. And just certainly we can't do this alone. Right. And we shouldn't expect that we're going to do church planting or orphan care or any of that stuff well if, if we're not having mentors and and those pouring into Amen. Them, so. Well, I know a big part of your personal story as well is you and Taylor being called to adoption. Yeah. And obviously, I'm sure some of that was pressed in through Imago Day, knowing that orphan care and adoption ministry is such a big part of the heartbeat of Imago Day. Obviously, Tony and Kimberly Marita have adopted from Ukraine and Ethiopia. So as, as you guys are just kind of going through this process, just talk about what led you and Taylor first to adoption and then specifically to uh, domestic adoption. And then just how has God used your adoption just to increase your view of the need 
for orphan care ministry and ministry to, to vulnerable women. Oh man, I love to talk about orphan care. Obviously I do, that's what we've been doing here a good bit. But I would say right when I met Taylor and we began to really consider whether uh, God was just gonna call us to get married or not, we, we even at that point had said that we wanted adoption to be a part of our family. But I think it was more from a social consciousness level at that point. like hey, it would be cool to go help a needy kid somewhere and give them a family. And it was really during that season of life in North Carolina, helping Imago Day get planted, where the theological grounding of adoption really became our motivation rather than either a social reason or, or even a biological reason. Because as you mentioned, we get back from our honeymoon at the core team stage of Imago Day, and we walk into this room, and Tony and Kim have five or four adopted children and then another one of the elders there had multiple adopted children so we were like right in the middle of adoption paradise and so but then we began to really understand the adoption of of God of us and how that's really what motivates us and so at that point social concern got combined with just deep theological gospel centrality and that's when our hearts really just became so unsettled with any other option than, than pursuing adoption. And so um, we knew then that, that if God would be gracious enough, we absolutely wanted to pursue adoption. And by God's grace, we actually were able to have um, two sons biologically. And we had those two sons, and we just didn't know how many more kids we would be able to to, to parent and love and shepherd. And so we decided that, that we wanted to, to, to adopt number three and began down that process and honestly god had just not turned our hearts away from the u.s toward toward international adoption yet and um, we had some good friends that were doing some 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 work domestically and uh, as god would have it we ended up being able to adopt uh, a little baby girl um, the day she was born and uh, just really felt like it was a way for us even even as pastors, to, to also demonstrate to our people um, another way that they could be engaged in orphan care. And so um, that's been a miraculous story, watching God just weave our life into the life, obviously, of our little girl, but also of her birth mom and all of the, the pieces of that story now um, being really not just, not just a fairy tale or not just in a book, but really the, the story of our life and and just now seeing our biological sons just welcome her in and even our extended family move from maybe places of, of concern or cynicism to now just also seeing and celebrating Emerson who's in our family and just even the whole concept of adoption. And so um, obviously it's been a, a wild ride and, and one that we have been extremely inadequate to to walk down but also one where God's just been so good so faithful he's carried us through some some wild times when we were like in the hospital room with the birth mother bringing our daughter into the world and just wondering what in the world have we gotten ourselves <laughs> into and how are we going to make it but um but just it's now just such a deep-seated part of 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 how I understand the gospel and and how I understand my my life as a Christian and, and, and the call to, to love the orphan. And so, yeah, that's our story, and it's been wonderful. And and by God's grace, uh, Emerson's with us. She's two and a half years old now and 
doing great and she's the queen of our ranch because we have two sons. My sister has five sons and so Emerson's the uh, princess of this uh, mm -hmm. palace at this point. So I know over the last several days here in Columbia, we've had the opportunity to, like we said, lead pastors, but also talk to a local church. And at Iglesia Baptista Renesar, one of the things that we were able to do is preach through the book of Ephesians. Uh, and you were assigned Ephesians chapter 4, did a fantastic job talking about the church's unity. But at the end of your message, you really, you really gave a call, an exhortation to this local church for them to get engaged in local orphan care and adoption. And, and I really think it was even more beautiful because the Lord had called you to domestic adoption because you had the way to say, look, our family has been called to what's around us. Now, the Lord is calling you to what's around here. And, and, and you said so poignantly that you, we need the unity of this local church so that this local church can go out and give justice to the orphan. Talk about why it is so important for the indigenous church to realize that, as you even said in your message, they don't have less of a Holy Spirit or less of a gospel than the European church or the American church. Why is it so important that nations around the world and the church around the world care for their own? Yeah, I think it comes back down to the beauty of God's plan to form local churches as He converts people to Himself or draws people to Himself in the gospel, that He forms local churches with local languages and local skin colors and local culture and local expressions, and that then the beauty of then those people then being mobilized into their place to love their community, it's just a far different it's a far different expression and a more effective one in a lot of cases than any sense in which someone with white skin or light skin from the West is going to just come into your world and, and sort of do this work on your behalf. I think it's really both a beauty and a challenge where we would, where, where we would see local congregations around the world really not just receive it like a burden or an obligation, but see an invitation to, to not only receive the gospel word, but then to demonstrate with gospel works, gospel justice, um, whether it's to the orphan or to the refugee or the, the widow or the vulnerable, but that, that in Bogota or in India or in China or, or in the Middle East or wherever it might would be, that, that in those places, people far from God would see people that look like them and speak like them and live like them, but who've been transformed by the gospel, now turn back outward and move back into those places with not only the good news of the gospel, but with, with, with lovely lives that are adorning the gospel. And so I think it's just, it's just a whole different, more beautiful picture as you see just God's people rally around God's gospel and move out. And, and, and like you said, the Westerners don't have more Jesus than the Easterners. And, and sadly, the last several decades or so of, of, of global evangelism and justice have looked a lot like Westerners coming into to other international locations. And I think we're seeing a beautiful moment where we've got an opportunity to really exhort, encourage, and resource the international local church to... To, to have what they need in terms of training and equipping and, and encouragement to, to take on that task for themselves. Amen. And, and I know even we saw demonstrated too where Renasar goes to a local orphanage where they're going each and every week, every Sunday, continually 
to see that continuity of care that, that can't be there from a random mission team or a short-term team. Short-term team, teams do a lot of good, but they do a lot of good when they're equipping and mobilizing a local church. And it was, it, it was beautiful to see, and it was like a test case of what we're talking about in the very moment because even though I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I love, the, I love those kids, it's a totally, completely different interaction moment when those kids see local Colombians coming into their orphanage to come love them. Because so often they've experienced such deep, broken, fractured family and relationships that that they don't really have a good grid for for people that look and talk like them but who would love and care for them and and just 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 seeing the beautiful moment of ministry that happened there is 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 wonderful and you just get this amazing picture of 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 maybe just god would raise up his indigenous international church to do such a deep work of social gospel ministry that that the white people in the West wouldn't even be needed anymore, and that would be a beautiful day. Amen. Well, so obviously we've, we've talked here about equipping the church, but we've also invited them towards adoption. And, and like we said, you and Taylor have, have brought Emerson into your home through adoption. You have three young children. Um, but I also have seen and known that you are intentional of discipling the hearts of your children. Just what, what advice or what aids have you found that are helpful and being intentional to disciple your children, even from the age of two and a half, like Emerson, all the way up to your oldest at seven. Yeah, so a few things. I would say, first and foremost, we've just really wanted to take advantage of our time together around the table. Um, we try to gather around the table at least for a, a meal or two uh, a day or at least several meals over the course of a week and, and to use that time to both intentionally speak and, and deliver the word into their heart, but also to, to try to pull their heart out as well. And so we really value that time around the table. We play a little game every day called High Low or, or Happy Sad, where we say, hey, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And how can we celebrate and thank God for that? And what was bad about today? And how to maybe we love their soul in that moment or, or, or speak to either hurt or sin or fear or anxiety. And, and we've even with a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, you'd be amazed at, at what all they're thinking and, and how they're seeing the world. And so the table has been a big deal for us. Um, certainly planting a church, being in ministry, and then bringing them into that moment, whether it's having people into our home or going into the homes of others or doing service and outreach evangelism stuff together to, to, to help them get a grid of this is what life actually in the community of God looks like. It's, it's God's people loving God's Word and loving one another and loving the lost. And even little kids, they, 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 they know and they see um, our lives and, and, and they're picking up what, what are the rhythms of, of the Christian life. And so we try to just be really intentional to, to have people in our home regularly, uh, not for big fancy events, but just for normal dinner and life together. And then also to give them opportunities where they're uh, sacrificing and serving others as, as a means of, of, of just getting their eyes off of themselves and having an opportunity to think about somebody else. And at the end of the day, our family rule is love Jesus, love others, and have lots of fun. Mm -hmm. And if we can do those things, if we can really love Jesus and love other people meaningfully and have a lot of fun doing it, I think we're, we're getting close to where God would have us to be.
Amen. Well, Drew, I'm, I'm grateful for you and for your friendship and your partnership in the gospel, but I think hopefully what folks have seen is the intentionality, which is so important to discipleship. And ultimately, that's what we've all been called to do. Intentionality with our kids around the table. Intentionality to bring people in. I mean, it's very intentional to plant a church. You have to invest so intentionally in each and every family uh, because you may not have the programming of a big church, so you have to be so intentional. And just grateful for your intentionality even, and the way that you've served here in Columbia, the local church, and you've served these pastors well by giving them sound, godly wisdom on being intentional. So, brother, thanks for being intentional, and thanks for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you, man. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.